have something we think God is calling us to do or God's going to give us in our lives and it doesn't happen and we wait on him and it still doesn't happen and disappointment just consumes our souls. Have you ever experienced disappointment? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you're breathing today, then chances are you've probably experienced disappointment from time to time in your life. Today, David shares a heartfelt and personal experience of how he overcame disappointment with hope. Here's part one of David's message simply called Disappointment. Middle of a series called Heartbeats. We're looking at different issues in all of our lives. If I had 35 minutes with you asking, uh, answering the different questions that you would ask me about different subjects, here's what I would say to you on many different subjects we've covered, like parenting and marriage and looking at loneliness last week. Today, disappointment, for we all have gone through it. The, the major thing you need to realize as we look at this subject of disappointment is every single person in the world at one time or another goes through disappointment. And the major reason for disappointment in our lives is unmet expectations or unrealized dreams. We have something we think God is calling us to do or God's going to give us in our lives and it doesn't happen and we wait on him and it still doesn't happen and disappointment just consumes our souls. So today, I want to tell you how to deal with the problem of disappointment from God's perspective through his word and to give you hope amidst your life's disappointments. The whole idea, folks, is to give hope to people amidst their disappointments. I'm wondering, how many of you have had disappointments in your life? And yeah, we all have. Again, every single one of us have. And sometimes we get embittered toward God when it happens. We, we ask the question, why did this happen to me? God, if you're good, why didn't you allow this to happen? I thought you said to me this was going to happen, and it didn't. Why? And actually, Marilyn and I have had all kinds of disappointments in our life just as Jesus did with a betrayal from Judas and other experiences. Paul did with Alexander the coppersmith who betrayed him and hurt him deeply and other experiences. In fact, just about every biblical character I read went through severe disappointments in life. So, so what do you do when that happens? Um, you know, Marilyn and I drove back this weekend from Columbus, Ohio, but what you might not know about our son is he's achieved some success is that when he was like two years old, he was throwing balled-up socks into lampshades. I mean, we could tell the kid loved basketball, and he's even taller than his dad. He's six feet, nine inches tall. God made him to play basketball. But what you might not know is over the span of his career, when he was 13, he dislocated his kneecap, sheared off some cartilage, and had to have surgery. The physician who did the surgery wasn't sure he would ever walk normally again, much less play basketball. Well, he rebounded from that only to go through in his future two more knee surgeries of the same kind. Two on the left, one on the right. He's had five different kneecap subluxations, which means dislocating your kneecap over his career. Uh, he's gone through a pelvic fracture. He's gone through three different ankle sprains. He broke his wrist. Uh, and this boy who had this promising basketball career was never able to achieve what he desired to achieve because of these injuries. And now his career is over. And Marilyn and I sometimes ask God, why? Question mark. You know, why? 
disappointment for our son whom we love so much. So we've been through it too, just like you have, not just in that area but other ones. So when disappointment happens, how in the world do we begin to handle it? Let me read some verses with you now that hopefully will give us hope amidst our disappointments. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, a quick brief history. God had told the Israelites that they did not repent from their idolatry. He would raise the city to the ground. They did not, and God did. The temple, the walls, the city to the ground. This beautiful holy city and God's chosen people had to deal with the disappointment of all they held dear, raised to the ground by God because of their idolatry. And here are the words, though, at the end of chapter 3. The first verses in chapter 3 talk about this devastation, but here is the hope amidst the disappointment. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? Hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. 1 Peter 3, 9, when people do bad things to you, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for or reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. A blessing. Isaiah 61, 7, as the children of Israel then were taken into the captivity in Babylon and they stayed there 70 years, here's the hope God gave them that one day they would return to the promised land. And he says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. God promised double for their trouble. Two times the blessing for their disappointment. They should therefore have hope. Hope. The word of the Lord. Now you need to know as we begin this message, there's an enemy. There's an enemy of your soul who hates you if you follow Jesus. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy And when disappointment happens to us all because we live in a fallen world, a broken world, a sinful world, that's what Genesis 3 says in the Bible, every part of God's once originally good creation is now permeated with sin, permeated with brokenness. And because of that, people will experience disappointment. It will happen just as a part of life. It will happen to them because other people will hurt us. And when that happens, the enemy who wants to kill our faith wants us to start to Self-pity, he wants us to start to worry, he wants us to feel remorse, he wants us to feel defensive, he wants us to walk around with a chip on our shoulder and do anything except believe in hope that God will still bring blessing to our disappointment. It's okay to ask the question, why? Throughout the scriptures, greater people of faith than you or I ask the question, why, oh God? But he does not want our disappointment to spiral downward. Because, dear friends, here is the spiral of disappointment. It happens to us, and then we start fixating on it. We start to feel self-pity. We start to feel remorse. 
We start to carry the chip around on our shoulder and keep asking, why, God, did this happen to me? And then eventually that disappointment will move to discouragement. What is discouragement? If you break it up, it means bad courage, or or it means to lose heart, to give up hope. There's a story of a man who wanted to take revenge upon an enemy, and he went to the devil, and he saw all of his instruments on the table before him. And he said, what's that one? He said, oh, that's pride. How much is it worth? And the devil gave a price. He said, what about that one? He said, oh, that's hurt. And I use that most effectively. He said, how much is that one? And the devil gave a price. And he said, what about that instrument? And he said, that's discouragement. He said, what's the price tag on that one? He said, it can't be sold. It's too valuable an instrument. The devil wants to take you from your disappointment to discouragement, where you lose heart, where hope is no longer a part of your life. And then the next step, if you continue to dwell on your disappointment, then to discouragement, the third spiral downward is depression. Depression. You fixate on the problem. You start to self-medicate the problem. God doesn't hear my prayers, you cry out. And if you stay in depression, folks, then the last spiral downward from disappointment to discouragement to depression is despair. Despair gives up. Despair asks all the time, why did this happen to me? You hear the voice of the evil one saying, you're an addict, and you'll always be an addict. You'll never overcome this difficulty in your life. And at that point, your faith is paralyzed, hope doesn't happen, and you're on the sidelines, unable to be used by the Lord. So then the question comes, how in the world do I deal with disappointment? When it happens to me by fiat or when it happens to me by somebody else? Well, well, first of all, let me say, you need to take the attitude that disappointment will happen There are unrealized expectations in my life. I will have dreams that don't happen in my life. You realize that. And then you take the view of that inestimable theologian, Barney Fife, and you nip it in the bud. You stop it before it starts. When disappointment happens, you must, you must not let it spiral to the next step of discouragement. You must stop it right then and there. And especially if you're the problem. If the disappointment happened because of something you did wrong, here are the steps you need to take when disappointment happens because it's yours or my fault. First of all, admit it. Admit it. Own it. Refuse to play the blame game. Say, it's not the preacher, not the teacher, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one who did this. It happened. It's my fault. When David committed adultery in the Bible, you look at Psalm 51, that famous psalm that he himself wrote in response to his adultery. And in verse 1, he cries out, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on who? On me, 
according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my transgressions, what I did wrong. Then in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Give me back my joy because I believe in hope. Then in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you'll not despise. God loves it when we're humble. He loves it when we own up to what we did wrong. He loves it when he says, when we say, create in me a clean heart, O God. It's my problem. Have mercy on me, O Lord. You realize it's a broken world. You realize not only do things happen to you, but sometimes you just make mistakes. You do things wrongly. But for goodness sake, folks, please don't cry out. That's not fair. That's what our children do when they have something bad happen to them. That's not fair. May I give you this insight? Fairness stopped in the Garden of Eden. Fairness ceased in the Garden of Eden. The moment this world had Adam and Eve rebel against God and sin entered it, all fairness stopped. Bad stuff happens. And we make mistakes because all of us have this disease called sin, selfishness within us. That's why we need grace. That's the essence of the Christian faith, grace. The word that describes the Christian faith is grace. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We're rebels against a holy God, and yet he came to us in Jesus and died on the cross and took all of our rebellion, all of our mistakes, all of our failures upon himself, and then he gives us the forgiveness of our sins, not by our works because none of us can ever work enough to earn that forgiveness. He gives us that forgiveness by grace through faith, and the moment we receive it, our sins have been blotted out, and we are new creations in Christ, and therefore we can have hope, hope that God's going to take our messages and make a message out of it. He's going to take our tests and make a testimony out of it because our God is a God of hope, knowing how broken this world truly is. So the first step that happens when we know we're the ones who've caused the disappointment, we admit it. Secondly, though, we quit it. We quit it. We repent. You know, don't you, that to come to faith in the Lord and receive him as your Lord and Savior must have repentance as a part of it. What is repentance? The best definition of repentance I've ever heard is stop it. Stop it. The behavior that's caused you to get into this mess, stop it. When you come to faith in Jesus, you receive his forgiveness from all of your sins, but then you want in response to that gift of forgiveness to stop the behavior that causes the mess to begin with, to stop the behavior that hurts his heart that you've begun. It would be like me hurting Marilyn and going to Marilyn and saying, I'm really sorry for what I did to hurt you, her granting me forgiveness, and then me continuing that which hurt her. What would she say to me? You weren't really serious when you asked me for forgiveness, and rightfully so. The same thing is true with us in Jesus. If we go to him and receive his grace and forgiveness, the next step is repentance. In response to the reception of grace, we repent of the behavior. We quit it. And then if restitution is needed, we go to the person whom we've hurt and we make restitution. 
How can that be done? Here's one practical illustration. A man came to me at some point and he said, I committed adultery against my wife. It's caused my marriage to break apart. What can I do now? That ship has left. She's met someone else. What can I do now? And I said to him, here's something tangible that you can do. Go to her and own up to what you did. Tell her and your kids it wasn't their fault. Because when a divorce occurs, often the kids think it was their fault. So go tell her and the kids it wasn't their fault, it was your fault. And with the greatest humility possible, ask for their forgiveness. And I said, if you'll do that, what you'll find is it'll, first of all, heal her soul. And she's probably laboring under the sense of, I'm the one who did this. It's really my fault. And secondly, it'll set your kids free for a lifetime. Admit it. Then quit it. And then thirdly, forget it. Forget it. Once you've messed up, you've caused a great life's disappointment, realize it's done. You can't unscramble scrambled eggs. Once eggs are scrambled, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. It's done. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to discuss a clever strategy for overcoming people-pleasing. We'll be right back. I'm Mark McManus with Moments of Hope Church's Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. With me in the studio today is Tony Marciano, Executive Director of the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Tony, tell us about the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Mark, at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, everything we do is about transformation. With a focus on individuals struggling with addiction, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And we accomplish that by providing professional, Christian, residential recovery services free of charge. Now let me back up for just a moment and explain all that to you. When I say the word transformation, I get those marching orders from John 6, a very interesting chapter of the Bible, where on day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That night, the disciples float across the lake. Jesus follows them by walking across the lake, and the next day, the crowd gets in boats and follows them. But on day two, Jesus chooses not to feed them. He begins to preach at them, and they all leave. I think in that one chapter, it's the heart of God for the poor, where God says on day one, I love you so much, I accept you just as you are. But day two, God is saying, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's the hard work of transformation that we focus on every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. I mentioned we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And that root cause is shame. Guilt is when I make a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. And if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And then I wrapped it up by saying we address this by providing professional, free, Christian residential recovery services. I like to use the verses out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And verse 19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Mark, I believe firmly that when someone realizes that God's love is four-dimensional, not three-dimensional, not conditional, but unconditional, when they have that aha moment that God loves them, all the shame in their soul goes away because they know they are fully accepted by God, not for what they've done, but simply because God loves them. And that's what we do every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
love to have you get involved. Please go to our webpage, charlotterescuemission.org, for ways that you can impact the people we serve. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Great being with you, Jen. Thank you. Word on the street, David, is that you've come up with a clever way through one of your Davidisms to overcome the disease of people-pleasing. Can you please share with us about this phrase, people aren't thinking about you? Well, Jen, since no one struggles with this, I'm sure you don't, right? I may be the only one in the world, first in line, actually. (laughs) Oh, goodness. We did another Davidism some days ago, people make lousy gods, Mm -hmm. and it's the same idea that we oversaw there as well. Uh, But here's what my dad was trying to teach me with this Davidism. As he saw my heart and realized that I struggled with people-pleasing as most everybody else does and that people make lousy gods, he would say to me repeatedly, son, don't worry about what other people are thinking of you. They're not thinking of you. They're too busy thinking about themselves. You know, Jesus said in John, the second chapter, that he knew what was in the hearts of all men. Therefore, he trusted no one. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of this reality. He wouldn't put his trust in a human being because he knew that human beings are selfish. They're looking out for number one. So why in the world would you be trying to please somebody who's totally selfish and doesn't even care that much about you? It's a great truth that we all have today. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Well, let's just go through an idea of what my dad was trying to say. Uh, When he said, do not worry about what other people are thinking about you because they're too busy thinking about themselves, he again was addressing the problem of people-pleasing. And here's the antidote to people-pleasing in my humble consideration. Consider others more important than yourself. Mm. Imitate Jesus' humility. He had equal status with God, yet he set aside the privilege of deity and chose to humble himself and became a human, a servant, an obedient life to us for our needs. He came to earth to serve, not be served. He came and left the splendor of heaven to die on a cross in order to forgive us of our sins. Please, folks, imbibe this important lesson. Value others more highly than yourself. Seek to serve others, not be served. Don't put your focus on yourself. Instead, commit to others first. That's the nature of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, to serve other people, to think of them more important than even yourself. And when you do so, you'll not worry about what others think. You won't even care what other people think because you're too busy thinking about trying to please Jesus and his kingdom alone. That is so good. And as I'm just sitting here meditating on this, I'm thinking of the people that I like to be around most, of course, are the people that make me feel good and build me up. And I want to do that for other people as well. And I haven't told you this, David, but my word for 2021 is build. Hmm. I really feel like this is something the Lord is drilling down in me to build others up. That's a great message, Jen. And it's something all of us need to consider today that when we build them up, they 
they'll want to be around us because we're helping them become all that they can be, mm-hmm. and we're not being selfish, yeah. which is what the Lord wants more than anything else, to drive all selfishness out of our hearts so that we can be his servants. Mm-hmm. But if you're constantly worrying about what other people think, you can never give your life away to serve them. Mm-hmm. You're always making them into a God who controls you, and that's very dangerous. Well, such a good word. Thank you so much. Yeah, listeners, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe to these daily written moments of hope, 7 a.m. every morning to your inbox, from my heart to yours, to give you a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from a series called Heartbeats from our online worship service. You can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leaders in our city government 